You are listening to NTC Messina's podcast, where our desire as a family of God is to simply know God, love one another, and make disciples. Do you trust your mom or your grandma? I know not, not, that's not a yes for every single person on the planet, but in general, you, you trust, you have people that you trust. I trust my mom, I trust my grandma, I trust her intentions. Does that mean that you agree with everything they say? I'm sorry, Mom. No. <laughs> I don't agree with everything. Maybe uh, we'll talk about it later. But <laughs> we don't necessarily, just because we trust somebody doesn't mean we agree with everything they say. And I was thinking about this in the context of, of just in, in studying Genesis and and, and the fact that we listen to people talk about the Bible or even listen to people online. You know, there's, there's speakers and there's teachers, there's pastors that I trust, and, and I trust them generally. I, I believe that, for the most part, uh, everything they're going to say, I'm, I'm going to believe. But that doesn't mean that I'm not listening uh, with, with, with a critique. I'm not listening to hear maybe there's something that I don't agree with. And I just wanted to encourage us as human beings and as people diving into Genesis and Revelation, which there's a lot of varying opinions uh, about Genesis and Revelation and the Bible in general, but there's a lot of varying opinions about everything, is that when we listen, when we Google, Google doesn't always give us the right answer, right? (laughs) So we need to remember that. Just because we read it doesn't mean it's true. (laughs) Just because somebody that you trust says something or somebody you think you should trust says something doesn't mean they're right or doesn't mean that they um, have the right perspective on something. And so we should always listen critically. And even uh, when we come to the scriptures, when we come to the characters in Genesis and really the characters um, all throughout the scriptures, you know, when, when we were, when I was young and if you were raised in the eighties, you know what a flannel graph is in church. They had a a board with, with characters that stuck to it. I guess it's flannel. I don't know why we called it a graph. But if you know what a flannel graph is, good. If you don't, don't worry about it. Uh, but we would put Bible characters and Bible stories, and we would try to talk about the Bible in ways that these are, these are people that God, that God, there's a story in the Bible that means something, and we moralize it, and we look at these characters that we want to emulate. We look at Noah, who built the ark, who obeyed God. We looked at Abraham, who walked by faith. Jacob, who wrestled the angel, and Joseph, interpreting dreams. But when you sit down and you read the book of Genesis, you find that these people are deeply flawed, right? If you've actually read through Genesis, you're like, there's a lot of stuff in there I don't know about. I don't, I don't know if this is somebody that I want to pattern my life after. And when we read the Bible, the Bible doesn't, doesn't present all these lives of people. This is what you're supposed to live like like Abraham denying that his wife was his wife and saying, go ahead, Pharaoh, like, go ahead, whatever you're going to do, go read that story. It's crazy. It's, it's ridiculous. Abraham made an extremely poor decision, and God got angry with him. And just about every person in the scriptures, with the exception of Jesus, makes dumb choices. And the Bible doesn't shy away from showing us people's dumb choices because we all make dumb choices. So we need to listen critically and read, read and try to understand what is God 
trying to say. And so we've been working through the book of Genesis. Last week, Greg talked about Genesis 3 and Genesis 4. Genesis 3, Adam and Eve deciding to, to do what God told them not to do and to change the narrative, to change the rules and what that means, what that meant for, for all of humanity. Then Genesis 4, looking at the story of Cain and Abel. And, and I, I love this, this question where God says to Cain, or Cain says to God, am I my brother's keeper? And God kind of ignores the question because that's an obvious answer. We are our brother's keeper. We are responsible to each other. I encourage you to go back and listen um, to Greg's message if you didn't hear it. But we're looking at the beginning of the beginning in Genesis. And Genesis 1 through 11 is different than Genesis 12 through 50. Genesis 1 through 11 is, is different than really the rest of the scriptures. And I, I like to, to describe it as in Genesis 12, the camera zooms in. But in Genesis 1 through 11, it's kind of this big picture stories, this big epic thoughts. And, and there are some people's named there, and there, there are things that just happen on, on a grand scale. But then in Genesis 12, it zooms in on one family, Abraham and Sarah. And from that point on, follows that family all the way through the Old Testament. And it's not meant to be all about that family. In fact, Genesis 12 makes it very clear that what, what God is doing in Abraham is meant to impact all humanity. It's not just about Abraham's family. It's about all the world. But Genesis 1 through 11 is different. It zooms in. In Genesis 1 through 11, we've been talking about this um, over the last couple of weeks, how it shows God's purpose in creation, how it shows God's promise to us. And even in Genesis 3, even in, in God reprimanding his kids, there's a promise of, 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 of God making things right. That, that promise carries through and promises are made to Abraham and promises are made to Noah and promises are made throughout the scripture. And also there's, what I want to talk about this morning is there's a presence that God shows in the first chapters of Genesis that are different. Um, than, than how it carries through the Old Testament. Even, in, you know, even in, in the judgment part of Genesis 3, it describes God walking in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve, and, and he looks for them. And then later in Genesis 3, 8, how, how Cain, I should find it before I try to quote it. That's not the one I want. That's, that's God talking to Adam and Eve. Um, but later in Cain, I'm just going to dive through here. Don't worry about the scriptures, JJ. How Cain feels like he has to leave the presence of, of, of God, and he's going to miss the presence of God. And so there's this, there's this talk, what we see in these stories, of this, this awareness of God's presence in amongst his creation. And it changes, it changes throughout the narrative. You know, Abraham, I talked about this a couple weeks ago, Abraham welcomes welcomes God and, and has, a, has a meal with God in three persons in that, that strange story. But God, he interacts directly with God in Genesis chapter 11, I think. And, and later we, we see Jacob wrestling and he wakes up and he says, surely I didn't know, but God was in this place. But as, as the story continues, things happen and it's a lot. We'll get there as, as, as we go through the book of Genesis. But even in the book of Exodus, God desires to come down and meet his people on the mountain. And the people say, we're scared. You go ahead, Moses. You go talk to him. And God says, okay. 
And we see the temple structure being built, the tabernacle, the law of Moses, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy to where God gets relegated, not because of his choice, but because of our choice. God gets relegated to a space in a tabernacle, in a temple, in the, in the Ark of the Covenant. And he, he stays there, and that's where people go to relate to him until Jesus comes and dies on the cross and the, and the, the curtain is rent, and we have free access again to the Father, and we're able to come freely to the presence of God. But we see in Genesis an awareness of God's presence in creation that then we step farther and farther away from that presence, and we approach God differently. And God didn't change. We changed we stepped away from God's presence. We made decisions that moved us away from God's presence. We organized things in a way, and, and God gave us, gave us instructions in ways that kind of relegated God's presence to something that's over there and not something that's just all around us. But what we see in Genesis 1 and 2 is God creating the world and creating a space for his presence to fill. And I was doing some research and, and just looking at, these, looking at this text, and even this idea of, of the seventh day of creation where it says that God rested from all the work, and how in the, in the ancient world, it speaks of that in the, in the idea of all temples and, and, all, and, all, and, all, and all religions talk about resting being that God sits on his throne, that God did the work of creation over the six days, and then God took up residence in his creation and sat down to rule. He didn't sit on a recliner. He didn't sit on a couch. He, in, he filled creation. He rested. He even says in uh, Psalm chapter 132, it says, let us go to the sanctuary, which is also translated dwelling place or temple of the Lord. Let us worship at the footstool of his throne. Arise, O Lord, and enter your resting place. The temple is this place where God's presence resides, where God's presence rests. And the temple in Genesis 2 being the earth, how God wants to rest in the earth and rule and reign in the earth. That's, what, that's what's happening there. And it wasn't, we say that God created the world in, in seven days. Well, what happened on day eight? Well, he came and he rested to rule. His intention was to be with us, to be present with us and to rule and for us to rule the way that he instructed us to rule and for us to experience the presence of God. And so this resting place. Um, check this out. At the center of every temple in the ancient world is an image. How in, in ancient religions all over, all over creation, all over, all over time, there's an image in every temple. And similarly, in Genesis 1 and 2, what, what does God do when he creates the world and he puts humanity at the center and says, humanity is created in my image, in my likeness, to rule like I rule, to be like me. We, think of, think of Genesis 1 and 2 describing God creating a space, creating the world where he will reside. And at the center of that is humanity reflecting God to the rest of creation and reflecting creation's the worship back to God. How we are the image, it says in Genesis 1 and 2, we are the image of God. That's the way it's supposed to be, right? 
So we're talking about Genesis 1 and 2 the way it's supposed to be, that God's presence envelops creation, that we, as humanity, we rule like God. We, we live like God. We love and, and move and work like God and reflect God. We show what God is like to the world. How are we doing? Do we rule and reign like God? Do we show the world? Does humanity show the world what God is like very well? Some of us, I hope, maybe. But as a whole, as humanity, how are we doing? Not very good. When we, when, we turn on our, when we turn on the news and we read and we, we read about horrible things like what happened in Buffalo last weekend, that does not reflect the image and likeness of God. The horrible things that happen and, and wars and rumors of war and racism and hatred and canceling each other and all the things that we do, we do not, as a whole, reflect God very well. But we're supposed to. We're supposed to reveal God to the world. We're supposed to reflect God. Ephesians chapter 2, this this. This theme carries through, which is what we're, what we're talking about when we look at Genesis and Revelation. We see the beginning, in the beginning of the beginning, these themes and ideas that carry through all of Scripture. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes, So now you Gentiles, and Gentiles meaning all of you who are not a part of Abraham's family. And, and if you read the verses before, he's saying, okay, Israelites and Gentiles, which basically means everybody, because you're either an Israelite or you're not, so you're everybody. So everybody, so now you, Gentiles, are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family together, humanity. We are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We carefully join together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles, are also made part of the dwelling where God lives by his spirit. See, the plan hasn't changed. The project that began in Genesis chapter 1 hasn't changed. It's gotten derailed by us, by humanity. But God's desire is still the same, to, to have a place where his presence can dwell, where he can live amongst his people, where his people can worship him, and where the whole world can see the creator through his people. That's been the plan, the project all along. And even when you, when you look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, I'm always afraid I'm going to say it wrong. You would think I could quote it in the beginning. Was in the beginning. Yeah. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Even in Genesis 1 and 2, it describes creation in disorder. It is, the New Living Translation says, formless and empty, and darkness covered. There was disorder to creation. And then in the ensuing verses, all through chapter 1 and chapter 2, God's bringing order to disorder. The, what God wants to do and what he gives us the commission to do when God gives Adam and Eve. This is what Adam and Eve, you're supposed to do. You're supposed to rule and reign and govern, name the animals and, and till and do all these things. Bring order where there is disorder. 
you know, my lawn over the last several months has been, has been disorder, and we're supposed to bring order back to our lawn and back to our garden and back to, back to things in, in, our, in, our, in our realm. And so there's, there's this intention to bring order to where there has been non-order. I used that wrong word, not disorder, non-order. Sorry. There was non-order, and God brought order, but then humanity brought disorder. I spoke that wrong a few minutes ago. God brought order where there was non-order, and then humanity and Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and Noah and all the people that we read about in 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, all the way through the whole scriptures, is humanity brings disorder by not approaching God the way that he meant he asks to be approached, by not following in the, in the ways that he says, by not doing what he tells us to do. And so as we read Genesis 3 through 11, it shows what happens in the world when humans rule the world without reference to their creator. And we come to the story of the flood, and we come to all these stories, and, you know, there's, there's things when you read Genesis 1 through 11, there's things in there that just make you scratch your head, and we can't cover all of them. I'm not, I'm not even going to try this morning. I, Genesis, Jessica asked me this week, who are the Nephilim? If you don't know what the Nephilim are, don't <laughs> go look go look it up. It's a crazy scripture, um, but I also think that we've crazily interpreted it wrong. But let's jump off of that, <laughs> because God brought order where there was non-order, and that we brought disorder to that. And now, very quickly, Adam and Eve turn against each other. Cain kills his brother, and we see. You see humanity just on this extreme downhill slope rather quickly. And it says God looks at, at his creation in, in chapter 4 and chapter 5, and he sees this, this wickedness consuming creation. That how when, when we leave God's presence, when we leave the responsibility, when we don't do things according to how the creator intended, things get messed up rather quickly. And then when, when God comes to Noah, you know, and if, if God would have just scrapped everything in that moment, then it would imply that everything was flawed from the beginning. But instead, God wants to bring new creation through the flood, through Noah, through what, what he instructs Noah to do in, in his family, that God wants to restore, redeem, correct, course correct. And Noah course corrects, but then quickly after, Noah makes some stupid decisions and, and humanity just quickly, uh, just over and over again throughout the Old Testament, we see bad decision after bad decision. But God, from the very beginning, and then recreating, even, even in, through the flood, and, and Greg's going to talk about the flood a little bit next week, but even in that, bringing new creation. What does Jesus instruct us to pray with regards to heaven and earth? Jesus instructs us to pray that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, to call down heaven to earth, that we're supposed to bring heaven to earth where heaven and earth have been separated through the decisions that were made and through, through all the actions and through the evil that happened in this world, how heaven and earth are separated. God wants to bring them back together. And Jesus goes around proclaiming the kingdom of heaven and he goes revealing the kingdom of heaven, showing what the kingdom of heaven is like. And then we get to Revelations chapter 22 and, there's, and, and John describes seeing a new heavens and a new earth and God's presence filling all of it. 
Our goal is recreation, is fixing things, is bringing order where there is non-order, bringing order where there is disorder, and welcoming the presence of God. I think I covered the idea of what I wanted to say today. The three questions at the bottom of your notes that I, I wanted us to, to ponder, presence, image, and order. Presence. Are you aware of God's presence in your life? Even in, even in the, the people responding to being baptized, there's this awareness of God's presence and a desire to do something, a desire to follow how you feel God moving you and pushing you and saying, do this. Stand up in front of a couple hundred people and get wet and stand there. <laughs> that takes an awareness of God's presence to be able to, to, to want to do that. Are you aware of his presence? Are you welcoming of his presence? You know, we, we sing songs about, you know, come into this room. God's already here, but are you aware of it? God is everywhere, but are you welcoming him? into everywhere? Are you inviting him into, your, him into your car when you're driving? Are you inviting him into your, your mind when you're at work? Are you inviting him into your home when you're leading your family? Are you aware? Are you welcoming of God's presence? An image, are you reflecting your creator? Are you reflecting God to your family, to your neighbors, to the, to the rest of the world? And in what ways are we continuing the project of bringing order to creation? In what ways are you on the same team? Ted talked about him and his wife have been partners here at, at the church for the last, I think he said, seven years. And we, we talk about that as a church, that we aren't just members of New Testament church, that we invite each other to be partners, that we are part of it, that we are doing it together, that we're holding the, the weight together and leading and going and and being a part of what God is doing in the North Country together. In what ways are we working together to bring order, to bring presence, to bring life back to our planet? Why don't you stand with me? I hope some of that made sense. Because <laughs> what we see in Genesis 1 and 2 is God starting a project, inviting humanity to be a part of it, and then him settling amongst humanity and doing it together. And that's what we want. You know, that we do a lot of things as a church. We have a lot of activities and a lot of stuff. We're paving our parking lot and we're doing evangelism seminar and we'll do a vacation Bible school here in a, in a number of months and, and love Messina. And we have all these things that we do, but the reason why we do those things is because we want God's presence known in us and known in the North Country. All that stuff is just an avenue to know God better, to love one, one another more, and to make disciples, to show other people what that's like. That's the, that's the whole reason why we're even here. I haven't said it in a while, but we're not coming together for church. We are the church coming together. This is a great shed. I like this space. We've been, we've been working on it. I'm really proud of it. It's going to look really good when we get the lines on the parking lot and there's no more holes and cracks. But that's all just a conduit for God's presence to be known and to shine throughout the whole region in the North Country. That we want to know God's presence 
and show the world what he's like. Jesus, we thank you that we can gather here this morning. We thank you that we can celebrate with folks as, as they've taken a step of obedience and following you and going into the waters and being baptized. God, we're all on that journey of following you, of trying and, and just keep going and finishing that race together. God, may we be more aware of your presence today. May we be more aware on Monday morning when we wake up and we go about our, 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 our lives and our work and our duties. May we be aware of your presence. May your presence inform us. May we be image bearers that reflect you well. God, we thank you for what you're doing in us. We thank you that we get to be a part of your church doing this together. God, we commit to loving you, to knowing you more, to loving one, one another, and to making disciples and doing it together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to NTC Messina's podcast. We hope you join us next week and have a blessed day.